Church, I'm going to go ahead and give you a, uh, a forewarning this morning. Um, this is a sermon that I really, really want to preach. This is one I've, I've really been excited about it all week. I, I don't have any doubt that God has placed a heavy, heavy... Desire in my heart to preach this, but my, my biggest desire is that the hope is, is the is that the church receives it. My biggest desire is that the church receives this and acts on it. Um, so as excited as I am about preaching this, I'm not real happy about my notes. I'm not really happy about the presentation that I've got written out here. So if it seems that I'm going off script this morning, it's because I'm going off script this morning. Um I want to preach to you on a topic, and it's going to flow with the kingdom of God stuff we've been talking about the last three weeks, but I want to preach to you on a topic that I don't talk about a lot, um, and that's my own failing. When I first came to Bemis, I told you guys that 80 to 90% of what I'm going to preach or teach is going to focus around the idea of discipleship. My understanding and my definition of discipleship is growing in Christ-likeness. You know, we're, we're saved people, we're redeemed, and we're reconciled to God. How do, we, how do we grow closer to God, but also into the mind and the heart, and, and of course the actions of Jesus himself? And I told you again that, you know, 80%, 90% of what I'm going to teach you on and preach about is probably going to be geared in that direction. And I think you'll all agree that it has. Uh, one of the reasons that I do that is just, I just think that it's something God has given me a passion for, and I think it's something that God has gifted me uh, to be able to do. It's not that I'm trying to intentionally avoid other subjects. It just is what it is. And I think that discipleship is very important. However, at the same time, I feel that other topics and other things have been grossly neglected. And that's my own shortcoming. And uh, the topic that we're going to talk about today is, is really kind of a shortcoming of the church, to be honest with you. And I don't mean Bemis United Methodist. I mean, I mean just the church in general. It's something that we've fallen back on or we've, we've fallen away from. And uh, we used to be halfway good at it. I, I, could, I, I grew up in a church that was really, 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 really grounded in these ideas. And uh, it, this was in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and this church exploded because they had a passion, a great passion. They weren't out there trying to, trying to recruit people. They had a passion for people. And that's what we're talking about, evangelism. Evangelism, sharing our faith, telling people about our faith caring enough about the eternity of other people, caring enough about people having that joy and that peace in Christ that we always talk about to actually tell them about it. I don't think we're really good at that any longer. And I think that's one of the reasons that our churches suffer among many other reasons. We are inwardly focused. And again, I'm not beating up on Bemis United Methodist. And I'm not talking about Bemis United Methodist. I'm talking about the church as a whole, particularly in the United States. We are inwardly focused churches. We focus our churches on fellowshipping with one another, which is fine. Y'all know that I believe in Sunday school. You know that I believe in Bible study. And I think all those are discipleship programs that we do inside the church. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Those are great and wonderful things. But we can't stay inside the church. And that's where we fall short so, so, so very badly. You know, y'all know at this point that I believe in advertising our church. That's why we got signs out there. That's why we have social media pages. That's why we have a website. 
And I, and I believe wholeheartedly that advertise our church and let folks know that we're here in that, in that, in that respect, in that regard. But our churches aren't overflowing because we're out there advertising. And it's going to be a rare occasion. It happens from time to time, but it's going to be a rare occasion that people walk in and just say, hey, here I am. And I'm not even talking about building a church necessarily in numbers. What I am talking about is once again developing and having actual concern, actual care, actual compassion, actual passion for people outside of our church walls, for people who do not know Jesus. We think everybody knows Jesus today, folks. We think that we live in a Christian nation. Here's an eye-opener for you. We don't, and they don't. People don't know the gospel. If you're my age or older, the gospel that we came up knowing, people don't know that anymore. They don't, we think they know who Jesus is, but they don't. They're unfamiliar with church. They're unfamiliar with Christianity. They're unfamiliar with the gospel. And it's our job to tell them about that. It is our job. It is our commandment. We call it the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't go out and evangelize in our sanctuaries, folks. Most of the people in here, I hope, know who Jesus is. Know who Christ is. They've heard the gospel. They've received the gospel. I hope most of, I hope you have. We're not going to win souls like we used to put it inside the sanctuary. The only place that happens is out there. And until we have a passion for that, until we regain a passion for that, we can just sit here and we, we can watch the church in the United States continue to go downhill and continue to die. So that's what I want to talk to you about that this morning. Evangelization. Sharing our faith again. Talking to people. Not being ashamed. Not being embarrassed to have these conversations with people about Christ. For the sole reason, for the sole purpose, for the only reason that we care about those people that we care that they have the best life available to them on earth, but also that they have the only option for eternal life after earth. One of the best sermons, which was not a sermon at all, one of the best talks that I have ever heard on the subject of evangelism came from the mouth of a very, very devout atheist. And I'm going to show you a video of this guy in, in, in just a second. It's, it's real short. It's only about three or four minutes. And hopefully you guys will see what I'm talking about. But I'll, I'll set it up for you real quick. Um, does anybody remember the, it was kind of a comedy slash magic duo called Penn and Teller? Yeah, some of us remember them. They were really big in the 90s, and, uh, in the two, early 2000s anyway. They, they were, again, they were a comedy and, and, and magic duo, two guys. And... Uh, the big guy, the big, the big guy of the duo, his name is Penn Jillette. And uh, Penn Jillette is very outspoken about his atheism. He always, always has been, unless something has changed that I'm unaware of. He, like I said, he's a very devout atheist, and he's always been very, very outspoken about it. And he made this video. Um, this is an older video, as you can tell by the production quality. But he made it, I think, about 10 or 11 years ago. And in this video, he talks about this guy that came up to him after a show one day, and I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna go any further than that. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you guys watch that, and 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 I want you to think, and you can tell me later if you don't think this is one of the most powerful evangelism sermons you have ever heard. Lorelai, I want to talk to you about this. Uh, 
I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks and you know sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff, no reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of. Uh, proselytizing and then he said I'm a businessman I'm I'm sane I'm not crazy and he looked me right in the eye and did all of this and uh, it was really wonderful I believe he knew that I was an atheist But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. How bad do you have to hate somebody? How bad do you have to dislike somebody? to actually believe what we say we believe, that we have the answer, that we have the answer to eternal life, that we do believe that there is an afterlife, and we do believe that if you don't have Christ, it's not going to be a good one. 
that we also believe that Christ can provide us with the most peace, hope, and joy, as we talk about in the season of Advent, that we can possibly receive this side of heaven. How much do you have to hate? How much do you have to dislike somebody? Not to share that message with them. I think that's a powerful, powerful message, folks. I think that's a powerful, powerful message. I want you to consider that. I want that thought to keep rolling around through your head over these next few minutes as we talk about the idea of evangelization through the lens once more of the Gospel of Matthew. And I promise you guys, after today, we're going we're gonna to be leaving the Gospel of Matthew for a while. Um, so just to review, you know, we've been going over the kingdom of God and, and some stuff that Jesus has said through parables about what the kingdom of God is, what it looks like. And uh, like the first week, we talked about that the kingdom of God is the most valuable thing out there. It's, it's, it, it, it is uh, so valuable that it's worth any kind of sacrifice that we have to make to be a part of. Second week, we talked about how God's kingdom often starts off really small and it expands. It, it grows over, over time and it makes eight major impacts throughout the world, has made major impact throughout the world. Last week, we talked about... Um, how when the kingdom of God is planted into the hearts of all believers or faithful believers, that it takes that root, it takes root in good soil and it's able to produce an incredible harvest. One more parable that Christ gives us on the idea of the kingdom of God and the importance of evangelization comes out of Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 47 through 50, Jesus said this, and he gave this example. He said, once again, the kingdom of heaven was like a net. My brother Tony Mallory back there is an avid fisherman, so I'm sure this makes great sense to him. He understands it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kind of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and they collected the good fish in the baskets, but they threw the bad fish away. Now here's, what's makes, here's what makes us uncomfortable about Christianity through our modern cultural eyes. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and they will separate the wicked from the righteous and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. That's the word of God for the people of God. We don't like all that stuff about burning and, and gnashing of teeth and weeping. It's got to be a very unpopular message. It's a message of Christianity nonetheless. It's a message of Christianity nonetheless, folks. We can't avoid that. We can't keep on avoiding it. Jesus compares God to a fisherman in this parable. And he talks about a net. Back in, in Jesus' days when they would go fishing, they'd have these huge groups of, of men, and they would cast out these large, large nets that were weighted down to, uh, to go to the bottom of the water, and they would pull up all kinds of fish. So that's kind of the example that Jesus has given us here. What's the point? God is casting that net, and it is his goal to catch as many people as possible. God wants to catch as many people as possible. He's not wanting to exclude anybody. God cares about rescuing as many people as he possibly can through us, and we'll get to that in a second. He wants to rescue as many people as he possibly can from bondage, from the pain of sin, and he wants to welcome them into an eternity, into his kingdom. Look there at verse 47. Something, something you'll probably look over or gloss over if you're not paying close attention. There's one little word, one little word there that you can check out. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. All kinds of fish. What's the implication there? 
The gospel is not exclusive. The gospel is not exclusive, folks. It's for everybody. It's for every person who has ever walked the face of the earth, every person who walks it now, and every person who will ever walk it in the future. The gospel is for everybody. There is nobody who is beyond the reach of the gospel. There's nobody that it does not apply to. That's the good news, and those are the people that Jesus wants to reach. It's about everybody. Let me tell you one of our main, main hiccups in the church. We don't want to deal with everybody. We want to deal with people who are like us. We want to people deal with people who go to church like we go to church. We want to deal with people who are in our same economic bracket. We want to deal with people who are in our same social circles. We want to deal with people who look like us. We want to deal with people who act like us. We want to deal with people who, here we go, vote like us. The kingdom of God is for everybody, folks. It's time we stop looking for people who look and act like us and go beyond that. It's time to go beyond that if we're not already. But that's what we like to do. John Wesley put it like this. He told the church, I can't remember where he wrote this, but he said, you have nothing to do but save souls. You have nothing to do but save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. Spend and be totally spent in this work. Go not only to those that need you, but to those that need you the most. Telling people about Christ has eternal consequences. Not telling people about Christ has eternal consequences. Let's take a look at that scripture that makes us all very, very uncomfortable in our modern age, through our modern eyes. This is how it will be. Uh, where's it at? <laughs> this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and they will separate the wicked from the righteous and they will throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. Here's the example gives, you know, on the shore here after these fish are caught, they bring them back up on the shore. They're either placed into a basket to be a basket that's going to be kept, or they're going to be thrown away. The ones that are to be kept are the one are the souls, are the people of those who respond to the gospel. <clears throat> the fish that are kept are the ones who have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the overwhelming love, the overwhelming grace, the overwhelming mercy and forgiveness that's offered by God. They're the ones who will live with God for all eternity, and their sin will be washed away. Okay, well, what about these other unfortunate fish? They're going to be thrown away. That's the souls of the people who reject that offer of salvation. They reject the gospel. In rejecting that kingdom, they are going to spend eternity outside of the presence of God. Again, we'll go back to that video. How bad do we have to dislike folks not to tell them about this? If we believe what we say we believe, if we have the answer to eternal life, to eternal presence with God, as opposed to separation from God, eternal separation from God. I don't know if I said this in the beginning or not. I don't know what hell looks like. I know we got a lot of thoughts about that, but I can assure you it's not good and it's not comfortable. I can't imagine an existence worse outside of presence of God and that's forever by the way forever is forever I'm sorry if we have forgotten that we believe this <laughs> over the decades of the centuries but this is historic Christian doctrine 
It's not something crazy. It's set in stone, and it is the reality of who we are. It is reality, period. This may seem harsh, and it probably does seem harsh to our modern sensibilities. But you have to remember that God wants to save the world. He wants to save the world. 2 Peter 3.9 puts it like this. Don't forget this. Don't think that we're serving a mean and wrathful and nasty God. <clears throat> 2 Peter 3, chapter 3, verse 9 says this. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some people understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The main, one of the main things that you hear about Christianity, and you know what? In my younger days, I said the exact same thing myself. If God is so loving, if God is, is so wonderful, so merciful, so graceful, why does he send people to hell if he is a loving God? Here's the answer. God doesn't send people to hell. God created a pathway for us not to have to be there. That's how much he loves us. We are bound for hell because of our separation from God upon the time that we enter earth because of our sinful nature. We are prone to sin. We are prone to do selfish, self-willed things, thoughts, words, ideas, practices, actions that are outside the will of God, where we reject God, where we, where we embrace selfishness, where we hurt other people, where we hurt God. That's called sin. If you don't believe that, look at any two-year-old that you've ever come across. I know that we like to believe that our children are born essentially good. This isn't about good and bad. This is about sin, and we're born into it. Anybody who doesn't have a two-year-old that lies to them, come on, get real. It's, it's a reality that we're born into. And God, and God can't, here's the thing, God can't be around that. God is a holy God, perfect and holy in every possible way. God absolutely cannot be in the presence of sin. Okay, well, he's got a dilemma then. Because he loves this, pe this people that he made. He loves this creation. What's he going to do? There's one thing God can't do, be in the presence of sin, folks. Look in the Old Testament. He tried to do it through passing a lot of laws. We can't keep the law. Why? Because we're sinful. That's why we have Jesus, folks. God doesn't send people to hell. I'm sorry to tell you that. We send ourselves there. <laughs> God offered the pathway out. God offered the pathway out. Through the death, through the birth, through the life, through the teachings, certainly through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only God can save people. That is very, very true. Only the Holy Spirit can convict people of their sin and can convict people to draw them to Jesus. But here's the thing, folks. We are God's vessel on earth. For whatever reason, I don't know why. Maybe he'll answer that one day for us. For whatever reason, God chose the church, that's me, that's you, everybody in here, to be his vessel, to be his messengers, as weak as we are, as imperfect as we are, as sinful as we can all be still, to be his messengers, to be his vessel of this message, of this gospel that we're speaking of. It is his method for carrying out his mission. Let's check out one more scripture in Matthew chapter 4. 
just three little verses. And this goes back to the idea of fishing and all that good stuff. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. So this story happens, this narrative happens, is if you, if you read a little bit prior to this, it's right after Jesus was baptized and, and he, was, he went into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days and he was temp, uh, tempted by Satan, all that. So this incident happens right after that, right after he comes out of the wilderness time. <clears throat> it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come follow me Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people and at once they left their nets and they followed him so real quick like Christ finds these two guys these two fishermen who were out there doing their thing for, for their very livelihood there's nothing special about these guys they're not highly educated to the best of our knowledge they have no unique skills outside of their ability to fish that, we, that we're aware of anyway he just chooses them Walks by him, and we don't know why he chooses him. He just does. Just as he has chosen me, and just as he has chosen you, if you believe yourself to be a Christian today, for what purpose? To come follow me. You'll find that phrase multiple times throughout the Gospels. Jesus just says, come follow me. What's always been amazing to me, and this is kind of off topic, Was, has always been verse 20. At once they left their nets and they followed him. They didn't even think about it. What made them do that? I don't know. I think there's, there's something very powerful about Jesus. It's the only thing I can figure. They left everything behind. He said, follow me. And immediately, at once, the Bible says, they left their nets and they followed him. But that call to follow Christ is our call today. He gave them that invitation. We hear it time and time again. Learn from me, Jesus says. Spend time with me. Be a part of this kingdom. Jesus came into the world to spread that vast net that we talked about in the beginning. And he needed, he wanted others to be part of that, reaching the world just as he wants us to be part of it today. So they do that. They leave. They leave their nets behind and they start to fish for what? They start to fish for people. This is an invitation for us, folks, just as it was an invitation for them. Are we going to do that? When's the last time? When's the last time any of us had a conversation with somebody that ended up with somebody receiving Christ as their Savior? When's the last time any of us had a personal conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a person? And the conclusion of that conversation was that they recognized themselves as sinners in need of a Lord, needed a Savior, repented, and simply followed Christ. Came to believe. It doesn't happen very often, folks. We've lost our passion for it lost our passion for it. Being a disciple is something I preach on so very much. It's very important. But evangelism, sharing our faith, 
and growing in faith are two sides of the same coin. We don't make disciples by not <laughs> practicing the command of evangelism. We're comfortable in our church pews. I'm not beating y'all up. I'm not beating anybody up. I'm preaching to me, folks. We're comfortable where we are. We're uncomfortable in socially awkward conversations about Jesus. I won't go so far to say that we're ashamed of Jesus, but it's really hard for us to talk about. We don't have that passion. We don't have that passion, church. If you're ready to see the doors of the church close permanently, let's stop telling people about Christ. Let's come eat our meals. Let's come do our Bible studies. And over the next few decades, I would say probably 30 to 40 at the most, we'll watch the church disappear in the United States. regain that passion folks and I can't do it I can't do it for myself I can't do it much less for you guys but I can tell you today I'm convicted for it I can tell you today God has convicted my heart for it I don't know if he'll use me in any other capacity other than to preach this message this morning but he's placed it there and he's reignited that passion do we care for people do we care for people do we care for people enough to throw that offer of grace and mercy out there at them as Christ commands us to do you know my hope for Bemis my hope for Bemis is to be a church that's just absolutely on fire for Jesus my hope for Bemis is that we become what I like to call a missional church and we are a mission by the way we are God's mission like I said earlier we are the vessel for God's mission to be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ that's who we are that's what we do and I want to see myself and I want to see this church get passionate about that to get passionate about getting outside the walls of Bemis United Methodist start talking to our friends start talking to our co-workers start talking to that guy or that woman on the street corner who's begging for our money start talking to strangers in the doctor's office that we don't know bring it up in general conversation care enough I hope that God develops that in our hearts that's my hope that we become that missional church that missional church that reaches out beyond the walls and also that missional church that loves and cares for one another deeply inside the walls as we are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons that, you know, you know, one of the reasons I don't preach a lot on the idea of evangelism and I don't preach a lot of evangelistic messages is I kind of always go under the assumption that most people sitting in our in our in our pews have at least some kind of relationship with Christ. Um, you know, Jesus said something to the effect one time, you know, that I didn't, it's not sick people, it's not, it's not people who are well that need a doctor, it's sick people. So basically, I feel like I'm preaching to people who are well for the most part. And I don't know if I'm right about that or not. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you if, you, if, if, you, if, you, if you've actually been justified some of us call been saved initially I don't know 
You probably know. God, God definitely knows. Kevin, y'all can come on up. But Scripture tells us there are ways of knowing. There are ways of knowing if, if we are authentically saved, if we are authentically embodied with the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that. We can judge that for ourselves. Are we passionate about Jesus? Are we passionate about other people? Do we embody, do we live on the outside, on the inside, of course, what Paul calls the fruits of the Spirit? Are we driven by joy and peace and kindness? Or are we just playing church and having a social club? I've never done this. Folks, I'm going to tell you one more thing. And again, this is not to beat anybody up at all. Please, please, please don't think that I am beating anybody up at all. I say this because I love you. I say this because I care for you and because I'm passionate about what I'm talking about. But I've been here almost eight months. And with the exception of maybe communion Sundays, I give an altar call every single Sunday. And I've, I've had some beautiful people come up here, and we, have, and we have prayed some wonderful prayers together. We've prayed some wonderful prayers of, <clears throat> of healing. We've, we've, we've prayed over some emotional problems people were having, uh, and, of course, some spiritual problems. I have yet to have a single person come up here and say, Jerry, I need to repent of my sins, and I need to return to my Savior never had a single person come up here and say pastor I've never I've never had a relationship with Christ ever you know it seems like to me that would happen maybe I'm wrong about that but it would seem like to me that would happen from time to time why does it have to be done publicly Christ says if you acknowledge me before men I will acknowledge you before my father if you deny me before men I will deny you before my father that's why we do these things publicly it's not about embarrassing people I don't want to know your business, frankly. It just seems weird that we don't have <laughs> people being convicted of sin in our churches. And that includes people who are Christians. Just like we do every Sunday, I invite you down here this morning. For whatever reason. If it's for that reason, that's wonderful. If you simply need prayer, that's great too. If you've never had a relationship with Christ, if you are in here, and God is convicting you of that, you've just, you've just realized, oh man, I've, ne I've never recognized myself as just a sinner. You know, if you need to make that initial point and say, you know, God, I just repent of my sins and I accept that free gift of salvation. It's really as simple as that. Altar's open.